Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. You guys doing good today? Yeah? Four of you, nice. Well, I'm glad to be here. I hope you guys are too. Um, If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 5. We're going to get there in just a second. Uh, Mark chapter 5. A couple months ago, I posted a picture on uh, my Facebook page of uh, a a photo of Melissa and I uh, years ago. It was an old Olin Mills church directory photo. We were going through uh, a North Shore University 201-301 and I was asking them about the Olin Mills, and some of them were like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what that is. And so I, I posted this picture, and if you didn't see it, I have it here um, for you. That's pretty good. Um, keep the laughs to yourself. Stop laughing. <laughs> Not funny. Uh, but it's good. Uh, you, you know, when you put things on Facebook, it, it gives people an opportunity to make their comments. And, and so a lot of the comments after this were like, Rocking the sideburns, LOL, or ha, I, I got a lot of like the laugh cry emojis, you know, and then, and then some of them that I didn't fully know how to take was like, oh my, people said, oh my, like, what do you mean, oh my, or wow, like, like, wow, I'm so good looking, or, or what, are you, what are you talking about, but, uh, but a, a lot of them were like, oh, Melissa, you're just as beautiful as, as ever, Chris, you've changed, thank the Lord, some of those things, but man, I was rocking the braces, rocking the bangs. Come on, somebody, that was good stuff. Um, but that was um, that was about 14 years ago. That was right after we came here to North Shore. In fact, last June, uh, just a couple months ago, marked our 14th year anniversary here in Hastings and here in North Shore. So it's been a long time. So, so I got to ask. How many of you were here 14 years ago? How many of you? Okay, put your hands down. Let me ask the other way. How many of you were not here 14 years ago? Man, look at that. Look at all those hands. So, so that's a long time ago. 14 years ago, we came in. Uh, we were just babies, young Chris, had so much to learn and all that stuff. Uh, but it's good. And actually, in one month, will be um, our six-year anniversary for the lead pastor role here at this church. So we will have been the lead pastors for six years. Let me, ask, let me ask this. How many of you were not here six years ago? Raise your hand if you were not here six years ago. Wow, look around. There's just so many people here that are a part of our church that weren't. That is so, so cool. That's encouraging. It, you know, it's just encouraging to me because um, I know that in six years, God is going to bring so many more people into this church, into this body to grow and have a relationship with the Lord. And that's just encouraging to see um, what he's doing. And, and I remember a season in, in my life personally, my personal journey with the Lord and ministry. It was about seven years ago that I really felt like the Holy Spirit was stirring something up inside of me. And I don't know if you've ever felt that, but, but like th- this, this divine something, that God is doing something inside of you. You don't really know what it is, but you know he's up to something. And you're trying to listen, you're trying to watch, you're trying to pray and discover what exactly the Lord is doing. That, that was the season that I was in. It was kind of like a holy stirring in me, and I, I really felt like God was preparing to move me. And, and that's, I, I, just kept, I just kept feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying, Chris, 
everything is about to change and, and just not fully understanding what that meant and, and trying to assume some things and, and just really wondering what God had in store. It, it wasn't that I was unhappy in ministry here. I wasn't discontent. I loved my role. I loved the church. I loved the leadership in the church, but I just felt um, in my heart that the Lord was saying, on your mark, get set. And then I was sort of living in that space between the get set and the go, and it was in that season, in, a, in the span of about eight months, I had uh, probably around six different conversations with different district leaders and church leaders who approached me uh, about um, leading, uh, pastoring some churches, different churches in this state or in other states, and so, you know, I'm kind of just feeling like this is probably what God is preparing in this everything is about to change mode, and um, started praying about it a little bit more. In every situation that came up, I would pray specifically, um, specifically. Did I say that right? I always, I always mess that. Specifically. I didn't pray about that. Specific. I'd pray specifically about that situation. And, and almost every time I would hear the Holy Spirit say, on your mark, get set, stay. You remember playing that game when you were little? Like everybody's lined up and you're like, I'm going to say on your marks, get set, stay. Or you'd say banana or something like that. And you would laugh because you were so hilarious and clever. And, and everybody thought, you know, uh, or, you know, you're watching people like, you know, just step off the line and stuff like, I didn't say go, get back, wait for go. And it was really funny the first time. But then after like two or three times, even as a kid, like a five-year-old, you're like, knock it off. This is stupid. It's getting really annoying. And, and I honestly felt like time and time again, the Holy Spirit was saying, on your mark, get set, stay, stay, stay. And I'm telling him, like, God, like, I'm not trying to go, but you're like, you got me on the line here and you're, you're doing this. And, and, and I, I wasn't upset. I, I wasn't frustrated about it at all. I was just kind of annoyed, you know, like, like, what is this? What's going on? And so I'm doing my best to do like an internal heart check. I don't know if you ever do that. And I think it's something good to do from time to time. I was like checking my ego and my arrogance and my pride, you know, making sure that this is about God's kingdom and not, you know, my agenda or anything else like that. And I really felt like I was in a good place and, and like I didn't have to like do any sort of repenting in that area. And, and so I just didn't really know what God was doing. And as I look back over it all, I realized that God was preparing me to get ready to stay. It was weird. He was preparing me to get ready to stay. It was an odd moment in my life. It was an odd season, but it was a very defining moment in my life. This was a major decision point for me. And this week, in our second week of the series Decision Points, I want to talk to you about the decision to stay. The decision to stay. There's a story in Mark chapter 5 that I find very odd. And um, we're going to discuss this in just a minute. And, and this story is different from any other story that we read in the Gospels about believers and followers of Jesus. Because every time we see Jesus interact with somebody, he is constantly looking for followers. He's constantly saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. But this one time in Mark chapter 5, he looks at a man and says, I need you to stay. In fact, we're going to discover, we're going to see in just a moment that this man is begging to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to stay. And it becomes really weird. And so this is a text that's a little bit strange and we're going to wrestle through this together. Uh, but before we get there, I think it's important that I say something um, because I believe that there are some of you in this room that God is preparing to stay. 
As I was getting this message together, I was looking at it like, man, God, I don't know if this is a good message to be preaching on a Sunday morning because I don't know if it's, if it's inclusive enough. I don't know if it reaches a wide enough um, audience, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, you know what, today I got somebody that needs to hear this. And, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is, is delivering a specific message to a few people here. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your circumstance is this morning, but, but you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And, and it may refer to a job, right? It may refer to a relationship. You may be in a marriage this morning and you are thinking about walking out on it and you just don't know what to do, but I want you to know the Holy Spirit would tell you this morning it is time to stay. He is preparing you to stay. It may be a house, it may be a town. I don't know what it is, but I just feel deep in my heart that the Holy Spirit is preparing some of you to stay. I feel like God would have me tell you it's possible you are where God wants you to be you just aren't yet who God wants you to be. I'll say it again. It's possible that you are where God wants you to be. You just aren't yet who God wants you to be. And the tension that you're feeling inside is not this tension to move, not this tension to, to take a big step, but this tension, this challenge that God is going to change you and he wants you to stay where you are and remain radically faithful. In fact, I believe that for some of you this morning, and like I said, I don't know who you are, but, but you're here and you're just frustrated with some things. You're, you're maybe angry or discouraged or you're, you're wondering why God hasn't in whatever situation in your life. And, and maybe you feel this morning like you're ready to abandon. You're ready to run away. You're ready to change everything. You're ready to cash it all in. You need to know this morning, you are exactly where God wants you to be. You just need to allow him to make you who he wants you to be. And so the text we're going to look at, Mark chapter 5, kind of puts this on display. And so we're going to go through this and look at this. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And, and they, in this particular story, is Jesus and the disciples. And, and they take a very familiar boat ride across the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Gerasenes. And, and in this boat ride across the Sea of Galilee is the story where Jesus fell asleep in the front of the boat. And, and the storm raged around them. And the disciples were all freaking out, thinking that they were about ready to die. And they wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're going to die in this storm? And Jesus stands up. He says, guys, relax. He looks at the winds and the waves and the sea. He says, hey, knock it off. You know, he says, peace be still. And in a moment, like everything calms down in the supernatural calm. And all the disciples were looking at this and like, man, this is super weird. They're freaking out. But what's going to happen is things are about to get super weirder when they land. And so they, they, they sail the rest of the way on calm waters. And they're like looking at Jesus, this man who with words is able to calm the storm. And they land. They get safe on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, we don't always go this deep into like cultural context, but I think it's important for this particular message this morning. The region of the Gerasenes was in this area known as the Decapolis or, or the Ten Towns, the Ten Cities. And and this area would have been very Hellenistic in nature. And so, so the Decapolis was an area that was nearby 
Judea, Jerusalem, Galilee, all of these places that Jesus ministered physically while he was on earth. But Jesus didn't go into the Decapolis very often. His earthly ministry was primarily focused on the house of Israel, uh, um, the the Jews and and the Hebrews and those people, not necessarily the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people around there. And that's what consisted of the majority of the people in the Decapolis. And so, and so, like I said, the Decapolis was very Hellenistic in nature. That means that they were heavily influenced by the Greeks and the Romans. And, and any time that uh, Alexander the Great would go and, and conquer a region or have influence in the region, he didn't just want to implement you know, uh, his people or plant his people there. He wanted to change the people that were there to become like him and that was part of his grand desire to rule the world. And uh, so this is kind of what's happened in this area right now. And so there in the Decapolis, you would see lots of statues, lots of statues to Greek gods and, um, and things like that. They were uh, a people that were obsessed with the physical body. They worshipped physicality and the physical body. This would have been the time where, where athletes were competing in the nude and uh, because they, they just were so obsessed and, and worshipful of the body. It was a region that was defined by opulence, um, just in everything, in, in what they ate and how they decorated and how they acted. Everything was just overindulgence and opulence and, and there was a lot of sexual promiscuity and perversion. And in this area of the Decapolis, it was very dark, demonic, and, and sinful in every way, shape, or form. And, um, and though the majority of the people that lived there in the Decapolis were Gentiles, they were non-Jewish, that they weren't of a Jewish religion or a Jewish culture, what was happening is that Hellenism was beginning to seep into some of the Jewish towns and into the church a little bit. And it was um, beginning to have a, a very dark influence on the Jewish community and the Jewish culture. And, and this became a major area of concern for the religious leaders of that day. And in fact, knowing this helps us to better understand or at least um, empathize a little bit with the plight of the Pharisees because the Pharisees were the religious rulers of the day and they were looking around and they were seeing that the the demonic influence of the Decapolis was beginning to make its way into their religion and um, though every time we read scripture we look at the Pharisees and we know that they're the bad guys because they're the religious leaders and, and they're never painted very well in scripture at least in part in this particular uh, sense we can begin to understand, not excuse, but, but understand a little bit of the tension that they lived in. You see, we, we create alternate sets of rules as well as parents. I mean, we don't blame parents for, for creating a, a, another standard or another set of rules within their home to keep their children safe from you know, the negative influence of the world. Like, like in our home, we say, you know, we're not watching rated R movies or even really too many PG-13 movies you know, um, in our home with our kids because we want to guard our kids from that. And Maybe some may say, well, that's a very pharisaical mindset, but, but in my mind, as I'm looking at that, is I'm in charge of the spiritual well-being of my home and my family, and so I'm setting standards to make sure that the influence of the world doesn't creep into and negatively impact the spiritual dynamic in my home. And, and we don't begrudge parents, Christian believers, for doing that, right? I mean, it makes sense. And so in part, that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing here because this, this area of the world was so dark 
And it was so, you know, pagan influenced. And the problem came because the Pharisees didn't just hate the sin. They developed a strong hatred towards the sinner as well, which is also another you know, another part of it that Christians have a hard time staying away from because we, we have a hard time separating the sinner from the sin and even believers, even Christians today, um, sometimes begin to fall into having a deep hatred or resentment for the sinner and not just the sin. It's hard to see people as, as treasures and, and men and women, uh, daughters of, of God or potential daughters of God or, or a part of God's creation when they are living in sin. It's hard for us to separate that. And it was very difficult for the Pharisees. And so, so, like I said, this region had a very negative, spiritually dark impact on that area. Some even believe that the Decapolis is the area that Jesus was referring to when he spoke the parable of the prodigal son, when he said that the boy took his inheritance and he went to the far off place and he spent it all on wild living and parties and all sorts of crazy things, um, ended up losing it all and then having to work and live with the pigs. Many believe that Jesus was probably referring to, if not directly referencing, the Decapolis, this area. So that's kind of the context of the region that Jesus was in. Knowing all of this, the religious leaders of that day wanted to have absolutely nothing to do with the Decapolis. They said, stay away. But in this context and in this culture, Jesus jumped on a boat and he sailed through a potentially life-ending storm to get to this region and this people. Again, this is the essence of the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is constantly doing. He is leaving a place of comfort, traveling through potential danger to go and present the gospel to present his life-saving power and presence to a people who want to have absolutely nothing to do with him. That's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. That's what Jesus is constantly doing, loving sinners before they're ready to surrender their heart to Jesus. This is the essence of the gospel, and we see this on display once again. And so Jesus sailed across the sea to the island of the, or the region of the Gerasenes, verse 2. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. So they, they land on the shore. The first one to greet them, their welcoming party, is a man possessed by demons who lives in the cemetery right there. Verse 4, whenever he was put, this man, whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was... He snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves, the cemetery, and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So this man is just a complete maniac. He runs around naked all day, every day. Anytime he gets like too aggressive, the people in the towns will come and tackle him. They'll subdue him. They'll wrap him up with chains. But he is so demonically influenced and demonically possessed, he has supernatural strength that he'll break the chains out and and just run around the cemetery screaming howling hollering freaking people out all day cutting himself and he's just just a scary scary dude and so as Jesus comes up to the shore this is their welcoming party this is the man who comes up and meets them verse 6 when Jesus was still some distance away the man saw him ran to meet him and bowed low before him with a shriek he screamed why are you interfering with me Jesus son of the most high God in the name of God I beg you don't torture me for Jesus had already said to the spirit come out of the man you evil spirit 
Verse 9, then Jesus demanded, what is your name? When he's saying, what is your name, he's not speaking directly to the man. He's not saying, hey, what's your name? Oh, Todd, nice to meet you, Todd. Hey, when he's saying, what is your name, he's speaking to the demonic spirits inside of the man. And he replied, my name is Legion, or we are Legion, because there are many of us inside the man. And so the demonic spirits that was speaking to Jesus through this man said, we're, we're many, we're Legion. There's thousands of us inside this man. There's thousands of demons living and possessing inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged Jesus again and again not to send them to some distant place. Verse 11, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding country. So these would have been the people that were in charge of taking care of the pigs. When they seen this, they took off running into the region of the Decapolis. And as they were running, they spread the news. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Everybody in that area would have known who this man was. He wasn't a stranger. Everybody knew the stories and knew to stay away and knew how scary this guy was. And so, so they, they knew who this man was. And when they approached, they saw that he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And scripture says, and they were all afraid. Now, I don't know what they were afraid of, if they were afraid that the man would strip his clothes off and go chase them like he's done a hundred times before, or if they were afraid because he was sitting there saying, and this Jesus character must possess just phenomenal, crazy, scary power if he was able to do this and fix this guy in a way that nobody else ever could. We don't fully know why they were afraid. We just know that this whole situation just freaked them out. So they were scared. Verse 16. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. So we got lots of crazy things. Let's try to make sense of some of this stuff. Let's first start with um, the pigs. Again, understanding the, the influence that the Decapolis was having on the Israelites there living in that, that region, um, what was beginning to happen is that some of the Jewish men were becoming so enticed with the sinful lifestyle that was present there in the Decapolis that they were, they were leaving their towns and going to live in the Decapolis. And, and as they were there, they were looking for work. There was plenty of money, there was plenty of work, and they were just trying to find ways to finance their sinful lifestyle that they were leaning into. And one of the ways was to, to take care of the sheep and the pigs there. And, and that doesn't seem like an overly bad thing to have a job as a pig herder, but for Jewish men, this would have been in direct defiance of the Mosaic law that God instituted there in the Old Testament. So God had declared that being near, being around, touching and eating pigs was unclean and it was sinful and that Jewish men were to have nothing to do with that. And so when Jesus came in, he was confronting an ongoing unrepentant, sinful lifestyle that these Jewish men were indulging in. And when he allowed the demons to go into the pigs and run down the hill into the water and they were all being drowned, it wasn't just because Jesus was being a jerk. He was confronting sin in a very aggressive way. Now, this we see happen 
anytime Jesus is around, no matter where he goes, Jesus cannot help but confront sin because that's who he is. Whenever the light pierces the darkness, the light always is a little bit offensive to the darkness around it. And so, and so we want to invite Jesus into our lives and we know that when we invite Jesus into our lives that he is going to confront the sin that's living there. It's not always easy, it's not always painless, but we invite the light of God into our lives and we know that part of the deal is that he will confront the sin. Right? In our church, we want everybody to come. We want sinners and, and, and believers to come and be a part. And, and we want to do everything we can in this culture and in this environment to make sure that people are welcomed and comfortable and taken care of and their kids are taken care of and we shake their hands and we love on them. But we also want to invite Jesus into this place in a way that it doesn't allow anybody to be comfortable in their sin. Because when we as a church, when we as believers allow people to be comfortable in sin, basically we are encouraging them and clapping for them on their way to hell. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. We want to love and be hospitable, but we want to invite Jesus into this place and he convict, he make us uncomfortable, he confront the sin in our lives to make us more like him. That's a part of Jesus's ministry. That's who he is. And so that's what's happening. So Jesus came and he's confronting sin in that way. The pigs die. And so these herdsmen, they, they, they run into town, into the Decapolis to share their story. They need to make sure that they get the message out so that they don't get in trouble for killing the pigs. They didn't kill the pigs. Jesus killed the pigs. The demons killed the pigs. We need to make sure that everybody knows that this wasn't our fault. They had to get the message out before their bosses found out because they knew that their bosses were going to demand an explanation. And they couldn't explain the loss of the pigs without telling the story of the demon-possessed man. And they couldn't tell the story of the demon-possessed man without telling of the power of Jesus. Okay, So this is pre-evangelism as they're going around saying, man, this Jesus has power. He cast the demons out, killed the pigs, but Jesus has power. And so they're doing this sort of pre-evangelism. The townspeople run to see if this is true. And what they find is Jesus, his disciples, and one formerly possessed man sitting there, showered, shaved, articulate, looking sane, fully clothed, eyes bright, undeniable proof that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, and he has a tremendous amount of power. You would think that collectively these people would rejoice to see this formerly demon-possessed man completely set free, like, man, they'd been trying their whole lives, and, and like I said, any time that he'd get out of line, they'd try to tackle him and, and chain him up, but he'd break it. And, and so this would have been, you would think, a really, really good thing that Jesus is freeing this area of this scourge, you know, this demon-possessed man. But verse 17 says, And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. This is so strange. This is so sad. These people would rather live with and be terrorized by a man who was possessed by 2,000 demons than to invite Jesus into their homes, into their lives, into their area if it was going to cost them anything financially. So if there was going to be any sort of real financial cost, they would rather endure this crazy lunatic than be confronted 
by the power of God. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, they asked him to leave, and Jesus was like, all right, whatever, I'm taking off. So Jesus is getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed by demons begged to go with him. This man who had just been radically healed begged Jesus to go with him. Take me with you. He'd just been radically saved, radically set free from the power of Jesus. He begged. He, you know, he was grabbing his legs and, and being dragged into the boat like, take me with you. Take, don't leave. I want to go with you. I don't care. None of these people know you. They, they don't understand the power that you have. They don't understand the freedom that is in Jesus. But I do. Take me with you. I want to go with you. But Jesus said to him, no. No. This is so strange to me. Because over and over again, Jesus is looking for followers, looking for followers. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Several months ago, we did a, a, a series on, on not a fan, and we talked about becoming a, becoming a follower and not a fan. And everywhere, Jesus is looking for followers. And, and this guy begged to go with Jesus, and he said, no, you're not coming. No. He said, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Jesus says, you can't come with me. You don't get to come. You have to stay. And I wonder if in the process of that conversation, Jesus didn't look at him and pull him aside and say, hey, you've always been in the right place. Now you're the right person. I want you to stay. This man wanted to follow. Jesus said, stay. He wanted to be near. Jesus said, stay. He wanted to get in the boat. Jesus said, no, you gotta stay. And I, and I just... I just don't understand this. Why would Jesus do such a miracle and then say, nope, you're not coming with me? I, I feel like he should have let him go. This would have been a great testimony. Everywhere Jesus goes, before he gets up to preach, he could have invited this man to come up and share his testimony as an introduction to Jesus speaking. And I think that would have been really effective, right? Like if, if um, we invited this man here and he was alive today and, and he came up and he was sharing his story about life being possessed by 2,000 demons. I mean, how many of you would go and hear that testimony, right? Be a little creeped out, but you would go and you'd hear the testimony and you would probably listen to it like you'd be all in. Your eyes would be really big and bugged out, but you would be all in. And then at the end of that, he says, oh, and by the way, the man who set me free is here. Let's give him a hand. And you come in and Jesus is there and you're like, yes, this is it. I'm all in. I feel like this could have been a really effective ministry tool for Jesus. Jesus should have allowed him to come with him and, and grow and be used and, and become a disciple and all of this stuff. You see, usually we think of the major decision points in our lives are ones in which it, we think it's time to go, it's time to move, it's time to advance, it's time to take the step. But sometimes the more righteous and the more obedient and the more holy decision is the decision to stay. Um, I know that there have been many of you in this place who have faced this decision in the past. You, you, you've had tough choices and you've decided to stick with it. You've decided to stay. And you are a walking, living, breathing testimony of the power of God in operating in obedience when everything inside of you wanted to go, but you decided to stay. Some of you think, you know, if I go, it's a great opportunity, but God is saying, stay. You think if I go, the pay is better, but God is saying, stay. You think if I go, my name gets out there, and if I stay, I'm going to be stuck in obscurity, but God is saying, stay. See, this man didn't get to become one of the disciples. We don't know his name. The only thing we know about him is that he was possessed by demons. We, we don't know anything else about him. He remains in obscurity, but God told him to stay. 
In your mind, it makes all the sense in the world, all the practical sense in the world to go. But you have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and what he is saying to you. And it may just be that the decision, the decision to stay is one of the most important decisions that you're ever going to make. To stay. To stay in your marriage. To stay. To stay in school. To stay faithful to your calling. Some of you are, you feel the call of God in your life. Maybe it's full-time. Maybe it's just to, to be faithful in, in what he's called you to do. But you feel the call of God in your life, but you're wondering if it's not true and you're thinking about abandoning it. You need to stay. Stay. Stay on the road of discipleship. And it's costing some of you some things, but to stay. To stay in the church, to stay connected to the family of God and the people of God, to stay surrendered to Jesus. And listen, I just want to say something real quick. I, I, I don't want this message to derail what God is trying to do in some of you because, because this is a very specific message and, and I know that God is preparing some of you to move, to change, to grow, to, to do something different. And so I, I don't want this message to derail what God is saying in that, but I do think it's important that we have to acknowledge the decision to stay. And so I want you to see what happens here. Verse 20. So the man, after watching Jesus sail across the sea, started off to visit the ten towns, the Decapolis, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. And so here's what happened. Jesus freed the demon-possessed man. He begged to go with him. Jesus said, no, 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 you're not coming with me. You have to stay. And then the formerly demon-possessed man went home, told the story, and then went all around the Decapolis and told the story. A few chapters later in Mark chapter 7, verse 33, it tells us a time that Jesus came back to this ten, these ten towns. It, again, he didn't spend a lot of time here, but he comes back. It was to the same place that he had just been ran out, the same place that people said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with you. But this time, when Jesus comes around, his reception was a little different. The crowds gathered around him, and people begged Jesus to heal their family and friends. They began to see Jesus heal a man who, who, who couldn't speak and, and who couldn't hear and, and word began to spread and they began to see it with their own eyes and the testimonies of the power of Jesus began to, to permeate throughout the Decapolis and, and they were bringing more family and friends and, and a mini revival begins and the crowd is growing and growing and these people who ran Jesus off because it confronted um, their norm and it confronted their finances have now left work for about three days to come and, and spend this, this mini revival with Jesus and the crowds grew to about 4,000 people, about 4,000 men and, and, and a miracle similar to one that Jesus had performed before. Jesus took some bread and he multiplied it and broke it and blessed it and he fed all 4,000 people with a, with a small meal and, and it says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 8, they ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day and so this miracle looked exactly like a miracle that Jesus had performed before, but it was in this region of the Decapolis where he had never performed this before. And, and, and it's just crazy because we're seeing this, this revival that people are spending three, it was like a three-day long church service and people were just refusing to leave because Jesus was so awesome and they were being so radically impacted. And it makes me look at this and think, now how could this happen? This is the same area that just a few weeks before, ran him out of town. What's 
different? What has changed? Why are these people so open and receptive of him now? What has happened to make the difference? I believe the answer is very simple. One man was willing to stay. One man stayed. One man said, I'm going to do whatever I can in this place and in this moment to spread the message of Jesus. One man stayed and it changed. It began to influence an entire dark, demonic region. He didn't just stay and do nothing. He didn't whine and complain. Everywhere he went, he told the story. And every time he told the story, people were amazed. Sometimes God doesn't change the place. He changes the person. Sometimes God isn't asking you to move. He's asking you to surrender. Sometimes he's not asking you to move. He's asking you to remain obedient. I want to close with one story. It's about a guy in our church. His name is Chris Sharp. Some of you know him. Um, He's been a part of our leadership uh, for a long time. He's been overseeing men's ministry here at North Shore over the past several years, doing an excellent job. Several years ago, we had a... uh, a leadership void. I mean, we, we had to fill this men's ministry leadership position. And we were getting ready to approach Chris about it. And honestly, this men's ministry at the time was really struggling. It wasn't going very well. It was probably a ministry that in reality, we should have just, you know, let die or put down humanely. You know what I mean? Um, and so instead of kill the ministry, we basically handed it over to Chris. <laughs> Good luck, Right. Well, let him kill it, and then we'll blame him for it so that I don't take the blame. And so we asked him if he would be interested in leading this ministry, and the conversation we had with him happened on a Sunday. The problem was that the very next day, Monday, he was set to have an interview at work with, with his bosses about a district manager position that had been in the works for several years. This district manager position would come with a significant pay raise, and it would require him to be transferred, that he'd have to leave Hastings. Here's what Chris told me as he's relating this story to me. He said, I felt God telling me that I needed to be a part of men's ministry, knowing full well that it wasn't a very effective, very influential ministry. He said, I felt God telling me that the blessings were going to be so much more immeasurable following him and leading this ministry. And if they asked, they offered me the position and asked me to take it over, I was going to refuse to move for the promotion. He said, they offered. And he said, I told them I wouldn't move for at least five years. And if they couldn't allow that, then they needed to offer the job to my counterpart instead. I love Chris, but he needs some serious work on his negotiation skills, right? I mean, come on. This, he, said, he said, in retrospect, looking back on it, my counterpart became my boss because... They needed him to move, and he wouldn't. So he could lead a ministry that wasn't doing very well because he felt God told him to. He said, my counterpart became my boss and is doing twice as good as I feel I could have. And then he said, but my store is outperforming almost all the stores in my region, which include about 190 stores. He said, my store is doing so well that I'm probably making more money now than I would have if I would have accepted that position. And to watch this come full circle, he said, the interesting thing is that two weeks ago at the close of the service, remember that really awkward service we had about two weeks ago where I had you guys run around and tell everybody thank you? 
How many of you are here for that? Others of you are like, no, I wasn't. Thank goodness. But he said, at the end of that, he said there was just a handful, you know, just a number of men, guy after guy after guy came up to him and told him, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in men's ministry. Thank you for what you're doing with the man camp and, and night watch. And thank you for creating this atmosphere to grow and be more surrendered to God. So there are many thank yous. There are many hugs, lots of tears, lots of people saying, you know what? I wouldn't be the man I am today without your influence. Thank you. I wouldn't be the husband I am today without you being obedient to God's will. Thank you. I wouldn't be the believer I am today without your impact. Thank you. And and like it just just hugs and and thank yous and just real sappy stuff, right? Very anti-man-ish, you know, just like, oh, thank you. But honestly, how does that happen? Simple. One man was willing to stay. One man was willing to stay. When everything was saying, no, you need to leave. He heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, no, you need to stay. But there's so much more that this has to offer. I don't care about that. You need to stay. But God, I feel like it would be better for it. No, listen, you need to stay. You need to stay. Stand your feet all across this place. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to let you go. Sometimes God doesn't change the place. Sometimes he changes the person. Now listen. Don't ever, don't ever underestimate what God can do in you and through you right where you are. Don't ever underestimate what God can do in you and through you right where you are. He may not be ready to move you, but he is willing to change you if you'll let him. To become who he wants you to be so that his kingdom can be powerfully and forcefully advanced in the areas that you have influence over. Bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. As we're just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, I want to say thank you to those of you who have endured, to those of you who have remained when everything else was telling you to go, except God telling you to stay. Thank you for your faithfulness. There's others in here, you're, you're in this, man. You're right in between the get set and the go, and you're like, man, I'm ready to be done with whatever. But you feel the Holy Spirit echoing inside of your spirit. Nope, it's not time for you to go yet. I want you to remain faithful. I want you to stay. I want you to endure. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Listen to how he's calling you. And I know this message is very specific and it may not be for the masses. But if this is for you this morning, recognize how faithful God is and how much he loves you that he is willing to speak directly to you. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us up with your spirit. I pray that you would fill us up with your power and your anointing. God, I thank you 
because there are so many that have made the life-altering decision so far to stay, and there are so many more that are contemplating whether or not they're supposed to move, but you are calling them to stay and remain faithful, and God, we thank you because we know that your kingdom is going to be advanced, and you are going to get the glory, and your name is going to be lifted up, and we're going to begin to live and see that the supernatural is very normal and is coming all the time because people, men and women of God, are willing to stay where you have called them to stay. Jesus, I pray right now that in this place we not get caught up chasing something, but that we become obsessed with being the men and women that you want us to be. If you need to move us, Lord, move us. But we know, we know you need to change us. And so we invite you into our hearts. We invite you into our lives to create that change. God, do your work. Do your work. I pray that you would solidify this message in our hearts and in our spirits as we leave this place. Let us listen. Take all the implications into consideration, but follow you and stay where you've tell, told us to stay and go when you tell us to go. God, we love you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.